Well, good morning. Thank you, worship team. It's always uh, just good to hear us worshiping our Lord together. Turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 1. If you're using one of the Bibles you have uh, in front of you in the uh, racks, it's page 374. I remember one of the most helpless feelings, sometimes uh, happening back in Kansas on the farm or, uh, or somewhere else, is to be stuck. Stuck in the mud, stuck in a snowbank. One memory that comes to mind was I was uh, dating Priscilla, and I was on my way there down some rural roads in the, in the winter, and uh, about a quarter mile from her house, slid into the ditch. And, you know, the more you try to get out, the lower you sink. And there was nothing I could do except get out and walk the quarter mile to, uh, to the farm and ask her dad for help. I think he kind of enjoyed that. When you're stuck, you're stuck. And sometimes trying harder won't help. And so you need God to move if you're stuck spiritually. Just as I needed to go to a dad, we need to go to a God who has the power to move us when we are stuck. I don't know if you see yourself in, uh, in any sense uh, stuck where you are. I think, though many times as believers, we remember when we were growing. If you came from a Christian home, it might be that there was a season in your teen years or maybe later on in college where you made your faith your own. And it's like, ah, oh, yeah, this is it. If you came to faith maybe as an adult, you're thinking of some of those early months, years, when you got into the Word and it's like it was opening up to you and certain people were helping you and, and you were just growing. You were like that little seed in that styrofoam cup in third grade, you know, where there was nothing and suddenly there is something. But now things have leveled off and you're in some kind of a pattern and sometimes the pattern can seem Okay. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes God is wanting to move us to a next step spiritually. As we uh, open the pages of Ezra in the coming months, we are coming to a time where God is at work in his nation, his people Israel, to help them come from a season of discipline actually, Some decades when they were under God's discipline as they were exiled to Persia. When you open the book of Ezra, you'll notice in the first phrase a mention of Persia. That's where they are. In the first year of King Cyrus, king of Persia. Back in Israel, Jerusalem is almost a ghost town. The walls had been breached Some 50 years before this, in the last deportation, the nation had been split apart earlier. The nation had, the people had been, most of the the leading peoples and many thousands of people of Israel had been deported, exiled to Babylon, which was then taken over by Persia. 
Was God finished? It probably felt like he was. God, God, God seemed distant. Back there in Israel, maybe. But God was not finished. God is still at work when he seems silent. God is still at work when he seems silent. And God is about to begin a new season in Israel's history. We're going to be using this term seasons or something like it uh, throughout this study. There are, there are different stages, eras, chapters in our life. We've all experienced that some already, right? That was then. It was, it was like this, and, and then this is, is now. Seasons change, sometimes by choice. We decide to move, sometimes not by choice. It just happens. When the chill of fall arrives, there's nothing you can do about it. It's going to get cold. It's a new season. And so we may find ourselves spiritually in a new season as, as Israel did. What I want to do today is, is, is read the first four verses. And then, for most of our time together, go back and look at the story of Israel that led to this point, And then back into those four verses to try to understand what's going on in this important book and important stage of their history. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. This is from the lips of a foreign king. Any one of his people among you, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him, the one going, with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. This is, this is a remarkable interruption to the condition of Israel. The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus. The basic principle is that God controls all human history for his purposes and yet specifically for the benefit of his people. God controls all of human history for his purposes and for his people. If you try to follow the news, as, as I do somewhat, it's easy to see things from a human perspective and, and only see the, the cause and effect of if people do this, then this happens and forget the vertical that God has his hand on the control of all things, including human rulers. And the reason he is in control is primarily because of his, his hand is on the world because his love is for people. People are his priority. We, we often recite John 3.16, thinking of the cross, for God so loved the world, which means people, that he gave his only son, the cross, 
Jesus' death and resurrection, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Obviously, God's all about people. And so when we see the, the movement of, of things on earth, God's in control for the sake of people. He's orchestrating history because of his love for people. He is calling people to himself, into his family, then he is working to take care of his family. That's just who God is and how he relates to us. And if he brought Israel through these decades of discipline into a new season spiritually, as we will see, then whatever we are going through is also because God has something next in mind for us and for our benefit spiritually. So kind of hang on as we do an uh, Old Testament tour of how the Jews ended up here in what is then called Persia under this man Cyrus. Geographic first, kind of get a, a scope of where the nation of is really a, a tiny piece of real estate. Uh, majority of what you read in the Old Testament or New Testament happens here. Jesus never left that area. Was if we go back to and then the kingdoms and ten tribes called Israel and two called discipline and captive into Assyria. The ten northern tribes never came back. They were basically assimilated and disappeared in what was then the Assyrian Empire. Empires don't last forever, as powerful as they are, and so there was then a Babylonian Empire. And the Babylonians are the ones who, uh, over a little over a century later, uh, are used by God to discipline the remaining two tribes of Judah, uh, as they were called, and it is under the that these people were deported. Jeremiah, Isaiah, and others had warned of God's judgment, and, and God had just like, extended the timeline deadline over and over and over. Eventually, though, uh, God judged, and uh, the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, and the walls were broken down, and many tens of thousands of Jews were taken exile into Babylon. That's how they got where they are. But this empire of Babylon doesn't last forever either, and so they're taken over by the Medo-Persian Empire with a biblical of And so find our Persian Empire, and again, these, these borders are simplified and inaccurate, but the scope of it, and where they were going, what, what Cyrus is saying they can do is now they can return back to Israel. And of course, travel is over the top. You don't go through the desert. You go along the, the Fertile Crescent to get there. And so they will eventually end up back in Jerusalem, those who want to go. So that's essentially what's happening in the uh, geography of uh, the book of Ezra as we begin. Everybody has a geography to their life. You could do a map like that, right? 
born here, and then we moved, went to college here, and then we went here, and then we went here, and we got married, and then we bought a new house. And You know, you've got a geography, but if you think carefully, you also have a spiritual journey that you might trace geographically. Maybe that would even be a helpful exercise. Where were you at spiritually? What was going on in those periods of time? What do you see that God has done And do you see that God has a future for you? So let's think it through a little bit now. Biblically, what were the spiritual issues that were uh, happening in the big picture of Israel's history? I was warned that something happened. Gave them the land of Israel. They, they were in Egypt, delivers them from Egypt into Israel, the promised land. And God at that time knew what was going to happen all those years later, practically a millennium later. And so he says, when you do not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, a nation whose language you do not understand. And that would be the Babylonians. This will happen. God knew. Their disobedience would bring them to this place. They shall besiege you in all of your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout all your land. That happened after the final deportation. If you want to kind of get a gist of the feel of the nation at that time, read Jeremiah's short five-chapter book of Lamentations. Jeremiah did not go with them to Babylon. He tells you what it's like to sit there and look over the city that has been destroyed. Deuteronomy 28, whereas, verse 62, whereas you were numerous as the stars of heaven... <clears throat> You shall be left few in number because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. There were relatively few left in the nation of Israel. Not the, not the powerful, not the just, just kind of keepers that Babylon left there so the land wouldn't grow up in weeds too badly. And so they had been disciplined and they were taken away. Did you ever make a spiritual mistake that you knew full well what would happen if you did? You know you were warned like they were warned. Those become some of the saddest uh, chapters of our life where we knew we flew past the warning signs. <clears throat> if we were to be so honest as to take, and take the time to, to all of us tell up all of our regrets, wouldn't that be a real sad set of stories? it's part of a season of our life. We're not going to do that. But the fact is, God knew. God knew what we would do. He knew what would happen. But He also knew what He had ahead for us. Where nothing that happens in all of history is outside of God's plan. And what happens is something He designs for our good. So the lesson to us on the front end is not, well, I can do this and God will take, God will still, no. The front end is, no, I don't want to do that. But if you're looking back at things you can't change, you say, ah, oh, but God has a 
future. And so already back 1400 BC, he told them that part of the story too. Israel was promised restoration when they repented. Deuteronomy 30, and when all these things come upon you, you know, and they will, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, like Persia, and you return to the Lord your God, that's a personal spiritual repentance, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Isn't that an amazing promise? God saw this sequence that would happen to them. The choices they would make. So these are God's thoughts for you. He, he wants you to come back to him if in some way you've gotten stuck. Repentance is not just uh, feeling bad about something. Repentance is not just regretting it. Wish I hadn't done that. Regret, uh, repentance is not even just promising one more time I'll try to do better. Repentance describes what happens in our heart when we say, my heart needs to face a different direction. I need different priorities. I need different goals. And God is merciful. There's hope. Repentance doesn't mean we can make a deal with God. Okay, God, I'll do this if you... You don't deal. You don't, you don't manipulate God. You don't, you don't script it. You don't set a timeline. Repentance means dropping any list of expectations and saying, what I'm doing, Lord, is coming to you with open hands, open heart, and I want to follow you fully, and I'll trust you. I'll... I'll I'll embrace your mercy, whatever it looks like. The story of uh, Israel, when uh, we, we study the background of Ezra, begins to get exciting as you see how this unfolds in the words of the prophets. God prophesied through Isaiah about 740 or sometime after that, that's kind of when he began his ministry. So now, you've come along 700 years since 1400 B.C., now we're in the 700 B.C. God prophesied through Isaiah specifically about Cyrus, who would not even live until we find him here, 538 B.C. This is remarkable. Isaiah 44, 24. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who made all things, who says of Cyrus, he named him, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. That's what we just read in the opening verses of the book of Ezra. Thus says the Lord, to his anointed, that is, chosen one, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, I will go before you and level the exalted places, giving Cyrus victory to be able to conquer the previous empire of the Babylonians, that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. Why? For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen 
God is in control of history for the purpose of his plan but for the benefit of his people it is, it is amazing to see how God had laid it all out now, does this mean that, that basically we're just robots you know, accomplishing God's plan it's impossible for us to fully understand how it is that we fully have free choice and yet God is fully chosen and knows how all this will go Israel chose to disobey. Israel chose when they repent. God, Cyrus chose to uh, be the brave guy who conquered Babylon. There are choices all the way along. But God knew it all and controlled it all. God knows if there's a new season ahead of you and what it will look like. Uh, we are responsible, though, to make Choices in that new season. God knows if, if um, it'll be a season of new honesty and cleansing. If it'll be a season of, of connecting to God's family like we've been uh, studying the one another passages. If it'll be a season of, of learning or learning again, re-engaged in, in his word. He knows if it's a new season of service and commitment. Areas where God has called us. He knows if the new season, maybe the greatest spiritual victory will be accepting the new season. Sometimes it's just accepting the new season because ready or not, here it comes. Are you at some point where you know God is moving you to something that's next? And... Most importantly, will we see God's good hand in it? And that's where I want us to now return to our text and see how God moved the heart of Cyrus. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, it's 538 B.C. historically, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and put it in writing. And then we read that. So the Lord moved. The Lord control, God controls what powerful rulers to do. Powerful rulers don't know that. They think they're in charge. That's what power is. And yet God is guiding their decisions. Why? Because God had a good future in mind for his people Israel after their years of captivity so here's what he's referring to here about Jeremiah's prophecy Jeremiah 25 12 written you know before it happened then after 70 years are completed I will punish the king of Babylon declares the Lord there will be a 70 year captivity the the first of three deportations of the people of Israel would be 70 years before this the three deportations actually took place over a span of some 20 years, so not everybody was there 70 years. Some were 70 and some were uh, only 50. But 70 years would indeed happen. Jeremiah 29, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, that is, I will interrupt, I'll get involved again, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place Jeremiah was in, in Israel 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You've perhaps come across this verse uh, before. I've seen it on uh, like Christian graduation uh, cards. Great, a great verse. It applies broadly. But this is where it comes from. God's heart for us is a good future, no matter what's been in the past. And he prophesied that some 70 years later, this is what would happen. Did it happen? It happened. Cyrus is the one who punished Babylon. The work of God uh, had taken place in his heart to do this. And so what we learn about God here is that God knows the future. God keeps his promises. God has his good, our good in mind when he does. God knows the future. God keeps his promises. And he has our good in mind as he accomplishes it. Does God know who will win the next presidential election? Of course. Could save a lot of time, right? He knows. Does God know the future spiritual condition of America? Yep. Does God know what it will be like in America 15 years from now when uh, my grandchildren are teenagers? Yep. 50 years from now, when my grandchildren have teenagers? <laughs> yes, if the Lord has not yet returned. Is God worried about all that? No, worry isn't something we associate with God, is it? Worry is our job. No, it's not. Our job is to imitate God. The Lord moves. Why? Because he's accomplishing his plan. How did, how did the Lord move the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia? Did Cyrus suddenly have this thought, oh, I'm going to send them back to Israel. God can do that. I think God moved actually through some rather normal circumstances, yet completely, perfectly controlled and orchestrated by God himself. In 1879, archaeologists discovered a remarkable item. It's actually an ancient manuscript called the Cyrus Cylinder. Not very big. The Cyrus Cylinder looks a little bit decorative, but if you zoom in, you find this, which of course clears everything up. What this is, though, is an ancient Akkadian script. And so it is, it is writing of Cyrus, this man. And in it, uh, it we find that uh, Cyrus's international policy was different than the Babylonians uh, as they took over the then world. Would, they'd conquer peoples and then like they would support them, you know, take all the powerful people, take the masses of bring them to Babylon. There, that, that gives us... Cyrus had a different philosophy. His philosophy was to send them back. Send them back and in fact encourage them, he did this with others, encourage them to resume their old worship practices. You see, Cyrus was a, was a polytheist and in a sense what he may have been doing was like trying to appease all the gods possible. 
However, I do suspect that, that Cyrus had a higher view of the God of Israel because of what he says here in verse 2. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple at Jerusalem. It was true. He is the God of all heaven, not just a regional God. He is the God of all heaven, and actually, Cyrus did have control of the then-known world and was that powerful. How could Cyrus have learned about the one true God. Take a look at the book of Daniel. We find that Daniel served Cyrus. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, that's the Medes, and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Daniel grew up as a child under King Jehoiakim of Israel, deported in the first deportation. Chapters of Daniel tell how he rose, uh, prime minister, significant man in the kingdom under Nebuchadnezzar, then he served under Darius, Cyrus. God had serving government. Praise the Lord when there are people serving in government. Under Cyrus, line two, we read in the first year of his. General, I, Daniel, the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So Daniel was looking at the scripture and he saw what we read in Jeremiah about the 70 years and he was perceiving, hey, we're getting towards the end of that period of time. So how did Cyrus know about the true God of Israel? I would just assume he knew it through Daniel. Did uh, Daniel show him Jeremiah's prophecy as a high-ranking official, godly man? Why not? Did Daniel show Cyrus Isaiah's prophecy in which Cyrus was named by name 200 years earlier? Why not? In fact, Josephus, Josephus was a Jewish historian during the time of Christ, and he wrote a lot of Old Testament history, taking a lot of it coming right out of the Old Testament, but there's some additional things that indeed may be true. Josephus says Daniel's the one that told Cyrus about these prophecies, and it would make good sense. So when we read in verse 1 that the Lord moved in the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, how did God do that? God used his word, spoken by his guy, Daniel. In other words, the way God moves in hearts is what? Through his word. Always has been, always will be. God uses his word over and over. And so God moved in the heart of Cyrus. So maybe if Cyrus is looking at Isaiah's prophecy going, Oh my goodness, my name is in this ancient book. He says, I better send them back. He could be doing it to deliberately fulfill prophecy. And so he says, verse 2, 
or three rather, any one of his people among you, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who's in Jerusalem. There's a little bit of a, of a polytheistic slant to this verse. You know, the God over there and the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide them with silver and gold and with goods and livestock and free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Cyrus is saying, I am all in. You guys can and should go back. If you were following the news in 1989, the Berlin Wall came down, and these people who were really imprisoned in East Germany were pouring over the wall freedom after some 28 years. Maybe you can picture what it was like for Israel to get the news, the Jews rather, to get the news where they lived in the Persian kingdom. You're free to go. You're free to go. After some of them 50, some of them up to 70 years, you're free to go home in this, in this stages of, of deportations. Uh, there had been successive waves there. So 50 to 70 years. And so the older ones that were taken to Babylon perhaps have died, they would have to have by this time. Maybe a few in the middle age, but mostly it will be the children and teenagers who were deported, remember growing up in Israel, but then they're carried off, like Daniel, probably a teenager, who are now able to come back. They're 60 to 80 years old, if they remember. Daniel had to be all of, all of 80. So to return... It was not like you'd just been gone on vacation. Many seasons of life have happened for you. If you came as a teenager and now you're 70 years old and you want to make this trip back, you would almost feel like immigrants again, though you are returning to your homeland. Uh, during those decades, the people had, many of them, established themselves, settled. They, they weren't really in prison at all. Some of them had flourished. And... Uh, but they just hadn't been free to go. Now they were free to go. We'll be looking in coming weeks about this movement of God then in their hearts. But this is kind of an overview. How would they know God is in this? How do you know when the Lord is moving? Well, they would know that their purpose was to go and build the temple. They would know God is at work because it's a God-focused venture. They would know that it's God's will because it was in his word in the book of Jeremiah. So it's God-focused, it's God's word, and then they would know it because of Cyrus's proclamation. Our pagan king told us to go and is providing that we should go. So how do you recognize if God's at work in you for a new season? How do you recognize when God is moving? Wouldn't it be these three things? Is it God's, God-focused? Uh, the step you're thinking of, is it something that's for His glory, not mine? Because when it's pretty much about me, it's probably not God moving. 
It's something where I could, it's an opportunity, it's something uh, serving him, it's something that uh, clarifies and, and able my, myself spiritually, something that brings glory to him, not just makes me happier. Is it based on God's word? Uh, if, it's, if it's contrary to God's word, you know it's not God's will. And we can often make God's word fit our own desires. Uh, so is there confirmation maybe, this is always wise, when you think you see an application in God's word to, to, to bounce it off of others that you trust uh, spiritually. So is it God focused? Is it God's word? And then do circumstances confirm this is the right thing and the right time? Uh, circumstances alone don't prove something is God's will. Oh honey, there's a call verse. It must be God's will. Not necessarily. It could be a test of God's will, right? But if it's something where we are committed to His glory, His focus, it's God's word and circumstances can confirm it. I, I can only imagine the buzz that went through the people of the Jewish people there in Persia. As the couriers come from King Cyrus and they're nailing this proclamation or maybe they're heralds declaring the proclamation or maybe somebody hears it from them and it goes down the neighborhood and people are telling people... Is this what God is doing? And, and indeed, it was what God was doing. So their grandparents' sin and ancestors before them had gotten them kicked out spiritually, physically, the nation. Now they were the ones who were going to uh, enjoy going back in the will of God. There was, uh, this, this fourth verse then is a very practical confirmation as well of God's will when it says that those who stay, neighbors, whether, I don't know if that's, we'll talk about whether that's Jewish or, or other neighbors, but they're supposed to provide them with silver and gold and goods and livestock and free will. They're just going to give them stuff? Had anything like that ever happened in Israel's history before? Yeah. At the exodus from Egypt? Their Egyptian neighbor says, here, here's silver, here's gold, here's livestock, just Go. There's something remarkable when, when God provides in remarkable ways. When God moves in a new season of our lives, he will provide the resources to accomplish his will. I really think we have an example of that in our, in our church family uh, right now. As, uh, some years ago, the church board was thinking of present ministry and future ministry and possibilities and uh, sensed that we need to build an addition for our ministry and uh, talk to other broader group of leaders, talk to the congregation. And so with some faith and some fear, uh, launched. But you know how you can sometimes see the confirmation of God's will, though? Is God providing the money? And, and that... To me, is one of the very exciting, encouraging things. Even as as Chris shared uh, this morning, how God has and God is uh, providing the Jews as they're considering: Do we do this or not? It's God focused. It's it's God's word. The King has told us to go, and now there are resources. At least the King said there would be. And so, 
God was moving, and we'll be looking at that next week, how he moved in them after having moved in Cyrus. So I don't know where you're at if you see some new season ahead. I guess we could safely say there always is a new season ahead because until he takes us to heaven, he's got a season for us. Of this, is, this is what is my will for you. So there could be some fear. It will require some faith. It will require some, some clear focus on what is God doing? What is God like? How is God moving? Do I, do I want to glorify Him? Do I see His sovereignty in my life leading me to this place? And so I'm looking forward to how God is at work in your life. Maybe, maybe your family. There can be some very hard things that are part of seasons, right? Very hard things. And yet God is at work accomplishing his promises because he has our good in mind. So I look forward to how God continues to transform us and prepare us for any season ahead. Family, church, personal. Let's pray together and then we will celebrate the Lord's table. Our Father, we come to you as our Savior and Lord. You are the one who brought us into your family by faith in Christ alone. You are our Lord and Master, the one who guides our lives. We uh, want to thank you just for the picture you have given us of your sovereign plan as we trace uh, the story of of you guiding your people. And Lord, we we might look over our own lives, uh, where we've been and, and what has happened and mistakes we've made. Uh, victories we've experienced help us to submit that all to your good sovereign plan and embrace uh, the goodness of what you have for us in months years ahead till you return in Jesus name, Amen